Good morning, Seven Mile Road. I guess the clock claimed more victims than we hoped for. Um, today we're going to continue our sermon series. We're preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and we're preaching on um, Jesus doing work. It's one of the Galilean conflicts. We see the Pharisees, who are legalistic, self-righteous, think they're up here, whitewashed tombs. They're running into conflict with Jesus, because Jesus has stepped on the scene. He's an authoritative preacher who's doing miracles, who's healing people, who's thinking outside of the box. And he's really causing a lot of commotion because they expect things to be done a certain way. And Jesus isn't living according to man-made traditions. He's living according to the law of grace given by God. And so you see all this conflict going on. And today we're going to go through another conflict. I want us to hear this today. God loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners. He said, for God so loved the world... Why did he love the world? Because it was full of sinners. I love the zoo not because there's a bunch of cages there, but because there's animals in it. God loved the world so much that he sent his son for what? For sinners. So that sinners could be saved by the person and work of Jesus and be reconciled to God. I want us to hear this because this, this is at the heart of what's going on today. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Just like a doctor gets in the profession to take care of the sick, Jesus came to earth to see sinners made whole. I'm so thankful for doctors. My my little one got 12 ear infections in about six months. So, excuse me. She was suffering. And as a parent, you hate when your kid is sick. You can't stand it. And so we had to bring it to the doctor. It's not working, Dan. Got to go Pentecostal two times here. Every time I'm up here, I got to go Pentecostal. And so, I shut that off? <clears throat> she, um, she was sick. So we had to bring her to Mass Eye and Ear. And so this doctor, his name's Dr. Rowe. I think my wife has a secret crush on him. He's this smooth Asian brother. He's about 5'4", but he's so confident you think he's 6'2". You ever meet these guys? My wife says, man, I didn't realize Dr. Rowe was so short. I said, he's that confident. He makes you think he's over 6 feet. He looks like he gets up in the morning and combs one hair at a time, goes to tanning booth just, just enough, about four minutes once a week, just to get his copper brown going on. And so he's the guy that's going to be doing the surgery for uh, my daughter. And he comes in, we go to Melrose Wakefield, and he just made us feel so comfortable. He was going to be doing the operation. It was a minor operation, but as a parent, every minor operation is a major operation. When they have to put your kid under, you're just all stressed out, you know. And um, he just made us feel so comfortable. And so they brought her in. They operated. Everything went great. He came back. And I just remember he said, everything's okay. I said, man, I'm so thankful for good doctors who take care of the sick. But imagine if doctors didn't take care of the sick. Imagine if every doctor was a plastic surgeon. That would be a nightmare. If every doctor was Dr. 90210. Do you remember that guy? 
He got highlights in his hair, and he always was doing karate when he should be spending time with his wife. And every doctor just worked on the outside. They didn't really take care of people who really needed it, who had cancer, or who needed heart surgery, or who had life-threatening illnesses. Imagine if every doctor was like that. I'm always inspired and humbled when I see doctors who go to third world countries and they don't have hospitals, but they have tents and they take care of people that have no medical care. They have no health insurance. They have life-threatening illnesses. They leave the comfort of American culture and they take a chance of catching viruses themselves. I'm always like, wow, I'm so... Inspired by these guys. This is what doctors should be doing. They should be going to the sick. They should be going to those who really need it. And taking care of them. Making them whole. This is what doctors should be doing. And this is what Jesus is doing in our text today. He's going to the sick. He's not eating with sinners just to eat with sinners. For the sake of eating with sinners. He's eating with sinners to call them to himself. Through the power of the gospel. And ultimately reconcile them back to the father. I want us to see his motive. For eating with sinners. His purpose and his mission. For eating with sinners today. So let's turn to the text. We're going to read the first two verses. Mark 2. Verse 13 and 14. He went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So we see Jesus, this radical man, radical prophet, the son of God, is on the sea. Is, is at the sea, walking the sea. He's been healing people. He just claimed to have the power to forgive sins. Crowds are following him. And he walks by this tax booth that has a tax collector. And I'm surprised at one thing. He doesn't look at the crowds. He doesn't look at his his disciples and say, you don't want to be like this guy. He doesn't yell vulgarities at the tax booth like we yell them at the um, toll booth on the Tobin Bridge when they charge us money. He doesn't make this person look like an outcast and look like scum and say, don't be like him. He does something revolutionary. He calls him to be his disciple. You've got to understand, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a prophet. He was a religious teacher. For him to call a tax collector to be his disciple was unprecedented. That doesn't happen. There was no Pharisees out there and scribes calling people, calling tax collectors to become disciples. And let's just look to how, I think it's helpful to understand how tax collectors were viewed in this time. Tax collectors were considered traitors because they worked for the Roman Empire. Their office was open to much abuse. They would take advantage of people. They would take bribes. You couldn't find an honest tax collector. They were excommunicated from the temple. They weren't allowed to be judges or witnesses in court. That shame extended to their family. They were particularly looked down upon by the Pharisees. The Pharisees could not stand these guys. Number one, because they worked on Sundays. They didn't follow the scribal traditions. They didn't pay their tithe. 
and they mingled with Gentiles. So they were considered unclean. Tax collectors were considered the lowest in society. So for Jesus to call this tax collector to be his disciple, it was unbelievable. People said, what? Most of all, Levi would say, what? You want me to be your disciple? Levi worked around that region. Some believe he taxed the fish. So the disciples would have known him and known him well. And he was a man with hard skin. You have to have tough skin to be a tax collector. You have to have tough skin to work in a toll booth. I went over the toll booth the other day. And I forgot cash. That's a big no-no. And so... I thought they were just going to give me that 450 slip because I drive a commercial vehicle so I could send it in later. They gave me a $50 citation. It was hard to be Christian in that moment. I didn't even tell my wife yet. It's the first she's hearing about it. You're safe. When you let it out at the pulpit, it's safe, so you've got to get it out there. And so I was just like, Really? And this, this woman was stone, she was a stone-cold killer. She just gave me, she didn't smile, she didn't, make, she didn't even show she was human. Because she had done it so much. You know how many people probably forget their cash and she has to do it? She can't be emotionally connected to every person who forgets their cash. So Levi was cold. But Jesus, this rabbi that he had heard about, who loved people, who healed the sick, who preached the gospel, who forgave sins, was calling him to be a disciple. His heart must have melted with the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ extended him. It must have melted. And I know when I first, and many people have the same experience, when the Holy Spirit really revealed to me that I was a child of God, regardless of where I came from, that I was accepted, wow, that broke me. As a... uh, a boy growing up in a broken household, two divorces, got into trouble. My GPA, I don't even want to know it. Sometimes you feel like you're not accepted. You feel like an outcast. You feel like you're low in society. And for Jesus Christ to call you into his kingdom, it will change your life forever. So Levi is so overjoyed that Jesus has called him, that he has accepted him and called him to be his disciple, that he throws a feast. He throws spontaneously, he says, we're having a feast. Jesus has called me. He has accepted me. I have accepted. We see Jesus' action, and we see Levi's radical obedience. And so let's read this next verse. We're going to read verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So the thing that really hits me in that one verse, number one, that sinners were comfortable with Jesus. This says something about Jesus, that he wasn't legalistic. He didn't make people feel judged around him, or they had to act a certain way, or be a certain way. A tax collector felt comfortable inviting Jesus to his house. Now, we have people over for dinner sometime on Tuesday nights. And so 
I asked my wife, can we have someone over for dinner? She, she says, who's coming over? And the level of comfort goes up if you've had the person over before, if you know the person. Now, if I told her the light of the world was coming over the house, there'd be a lot of stress. Do you know what I mean? She'd be having, I'd be getting landscapers, contractors. We couldn't get Harold's pie. We'd have to actually cook something from scratch. And if that's happening, you don't invite Dirty Eddie over. You don't invite the guy who's saying all the profane and vulgar jokes. We're having Jesus over. But Levi feels comfortable enough to invite his tax collector friends over and sinners over. You know, if I'm having Jesus over, I'm having like Nancy and Margaret over. Those are safe calls. You know nothing's going to go wrong. They're going to help host. You're going to be all right having the light of the world over your house. But Levi invites sinners and tax collectors over his house. He feels that comfortable with Jesus to do that. And we see in this verse that they're reclining. They're reclining with Jesus. We all know when you go to someone's house the first time, everyone's standing up. We had a soul care thing the other day, and everyone's standing up, you know what I mean, till they could get comfortable. It's a sign of acceptance and cordiality when you can recline with someone, when you can relax around someone, when you can just lay back. These sinners and these tax collectors felt like they could just lay back with Jesus. And this says something about the grace and the mercy that Jesus showed. That I'm sure they were comfortable to have conversation with him, to ask him questions. They knew who he was. They heard of his fame. They knew his message. But still they felt comfortable enough to invite him to their house and the disciples to their house and recline with him. Now I don't want us to get the wrong message. Does this mean that Jesus condoned sin or participated in sin? Not at all. Not at all. Jesus ate with sinners in order to call sinners to himself and ultimately to call them back to the Father through the power of the gospel. And let's read on. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so, you know, the Pharisees didn't come to this feast to eat. They came to judge. Jesus was aggravating them. And I'm using a safe word there. Now people were starting to listen to Jesus and what he said and not what they said. People are starting to question the Pharisees. We just had this conflict last week. We claim to have the power to forgive sins. And they're saying, he can't do that. They're coming to this feast to find him doing something that they don't think he should be doing. And Jesus answers their request. See, the Pharisees broke people up into two different classes. The righteous, which they conveniently threw themselves into that class. See, the righteous followed all the scribal traditions, all the ceremonial laws. They gave their tithe. They honored the Sabbath the way the Pharisees thought they should honor the Sabbath. Basically, the righteous were everyone who followed God according to the Pharisees. Everyone else, they were considered sinners. They were considered unclean. They were considered, quote-unquote, the common people. The Pharisees put themselves up here. And they put everyone else down here. 
So you've got to understand, it just didn't happen. The Pharisees didn't eat with sinners. They didn't make their table with the common people. If you were a Pharisee, you invited Pharisees over your house. If you were a sinner, you ate with sinners. You didn't mix the two. For Jesus, a rabbi, a religious teacher, to sit down with sinners, with the common people, would have been crazy offensive to the Pharisees. They were so appalled at this, when they looked at this, they didn't even go directly to Jesus. They went to his disciples. And we all know what that means. When you're so appalled with someone, they're in the room and you're talking to someone else, like, what's wrong with this dude? They said, why is he eating with sinners? The audacity of him, a rabbi, claiming to be a religious teacher, he's eating with sinners. And of course, Jesus was ready for this. I I think he liked to provoke them. And he gives us this answer. And I just want to read this again because this is so important to this text. So important. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We get to see the motivation of Jesus. Just like a doctor who goes into the emergency room and see people broken and shattered and needing help. He says, this is where I should be. Because they need me here. They know they need me here. It's not that he would not have eaten with the scribes. It's that the scribes wouldn't have invited him to eat with them. They saw no need. They believed they were righteous and had no need of the gospel. They believed they were whole and that they were not sick. Yet these tax collectors and these sinners and these outcasts knew that they needed help. They knew they were broken and needed to be fixed. They knew they were sinners in need of a savior. And that's why Jesus was there. He was there to make them whole. Just like any good doctor would go to the sick. His prescription was the gospel. And of course, Jesus didn't define things according to the Pharisees' um, definitions. But he answered them according to their definition of righteous and sinners. We're really, if we're going to properly define um, who are sinners and who, are, who is righteous, we're all sinners. Everyone who has been born and will be born, we all are sinners. And there's only one righteous one that's Jesus, if you want to break things up into two categories, and the only way to be righteous is to put faith in Jesus. And I want us to hear this today. We all are in, the need, in need of the gospel. The Pharisees were, needed the gospel just as much, if not more, than those tax collectors are sinners. They were worse sinners than those tax collectors. At least they knew it. At least they knew it. The Pharisees thought they were whole. So how can we apply this to our life? Number one, Jesus is making a great statement here. A great statement. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you have done, how you've been abused, or who you've been abused by. It doesn't matter where you've been sexually or what you've done criminally. It doesn't matter if you're a thief or you've been dishonest or you worshipped other gods. The invitation is open to all to repent and put their faith in Jesus. Wow. The people of God are made up of sinners. And so I was thinking last night, who would be at that table present day 
if Jesus was eaten with sinners. So I'm thinking popular culture. I'm thinking like Charlie Sheen with his tiger blood. I'm thinking like Mike Tyson. But then I said, no, I'm not going that route. Everyone goes that route. I'm thinking about Matt Cruz. I'm thinking about Joey Thompson. I'm thinking about Joe Vec. Sinners are eating at the table of Jesus. None of us deserve to feast with Jesus. None of us deserve to be at that table. But Jesus was that merciful and that gracious that he came for us. That he came for us. Filthy sinners. Haters of God. And he awakened us to the truth by his grace. Our God is good. Secondly, we need to follow our leader. Jesus has told us that, and showed us that we need to be eating with sinners. We all should be like doctors, like amateur doctors. We should be looking for ways to engage people who have not heard the gospel. People who are outcast. People who are considered low in the eyes of this world. We should make time to engage them. This week, uh, me and a few dudes from my soul care, we went out to Harrington's Pub in Wakefield. It was trivia night and wing night. Those are two pluses. I never did trivia night before, but I wanted to get one question right. So we go in there. I sit at the bar. I don't know if you guys think a pastor should sit at the bar, but with a text like this, you have to sit at a bar if you preach this text. So I sit at the bar, and there's six of us, and we're going to break up into two teams. You know Colburn's the ringer. The dude knows everything. It's ridiculous. I'm like, I don't even see him reading, but he's finding out these fun facts all over the place. So I know they got Colburn, they got the ringer, then they got Will Horn. He's been on like the Gloucester scene on Trivia Night. He's like traveling the circuit. And they got Joffrey, so he's going to help the cause. He's been around the world. And then you got me, Steve, and Andy. I said, if it's not about basketball, construction work, or 80s movies, we're in trouble. So the first question comes out, and we get it. I don't know how. It was some play, and I threw it out there, and it was right. So I, got, I said, I got my one question for the day. Then the second one, we kind of got. It was Lisa Marie Presley, and we put Priscilla Presley. That was Steve's fault. And they gave us the answer, and then halfway through the trivia, they took it away. But um, about the third or fourth question, we lost Andy. He just started traveling around the bar talking to people. And we, you know, Team Colburn was pulling way ahead. And so these two guys came into the bar. One was, uh, looked like the dude from Jurassic Park in the first movie. You know that old dude? He looked exactly like him. And this other dude was Natash. He was this Indian brother. And I overheard Natash give us an answer that we didn't know. And it was a bonus question. So I felt guilty for cheating, being on a mission. It's a missional move, and we're going to cheat in trivia. I didn't know if it went right. So we had assigned him to a contract. So Natesh said, can I be on your team? I said, absolutely. Now we haven't officially cheated. And so I said, what do you do, Natesh? He said, I'm a math professor. I said, where? He said, Harvard. I said, all right, you can be on this team, Natesh. <laughs> all right, well, I think we'll let you through. And so we started making a comeback with Natesh and John on our team. We started making a comeback and bonus questions. And... But so Natesh kept using the Lord's name in vain. Okay, and I'm from the old school. You don't use the name of Jesus unless you're worshiping it, praying to it, or preaching it. And so I'm usually right on that. But I realized he doesn't know any better. You know what I mean? Then John came over to me and made a crude joke. 
and he had heard that Dave and uh, Will and them that they were from church. So he looks at me. It, it cracked me up. He said, he made a crude joke. He said, don't tell the religious guys. <laughs> and I did what any pastor would do when he's eating with sinners. I said, I hear you. <laughs> but I said to myself, in this pocket of lostness, I said, this is where I should be. This is where we should be. Not just to eat with sinners, not just to have trivia night, but to build relationships where I could share the gospel with people. Because people are sick here. People are lost here. People are drinking too much here. People have heard a gospel that's not true and that's legalistic, and they need to hear the gospel of grace. They need to hear about the real Jesus who was eating with sinners and who came for them and came to die for the sins that they have committed. This is where I should be. This is where we should be. So I challenge myself and all of us to think about, even this past week, where did you spend your time? Did you spend 99% of your time with church folk? The last month, did you spend 99% of your time with church folk? Or did you spend your time with the least of these? Those who have not heard the gospel, those who are sick, those who are in the emergency room and need to hear the message and meet the God you know. Thirdly, how many times have we been the Pharisees? How many times have we looked at people engaging sinners and eating with sinners and being non-religious and said, why is he doing that? How many times have we put people in two categories? The righteous who are up here and we conveniently throw ourselves in that group and sinners who are down there. The only difference between those who believe and those don't is Jesus and his grace and his mercy. It was nothing of us. It was not a works, lest any of us will boast in that like the Pharisees. We need to take that heart to those who don't know Jesus. We all were outcasts. We all were tax collectors. We all were Levi. And Jesus called us. And he made a place for us. Let's worship him today. As we come to the table, let's remember his body and blood that was given for us so that we could be made righteous, so that our filthy sin could be washed clean. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you so much that you're not a, an angry, non-merciful God but that you show grace to us and mercy to us and that you chose to eat with us and to invite us to your table and that you made us whole, Lord, that there's no guilt in our past, there's no shame in our past, but we've been made whole by the blood of your son, Jesus. I pray that you put in a heart, a heart in us, just like your heart, to love sinners, Lord. To see them come to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. To want them to have that joy and that freedom that comes with having their sins forgiven. Please help us, Lord, as we're even making this transition to two sites, Lord. That we'd see conversion growth, Lord. That we'd see sinners come to Christ, Lord. And fill these buildings with sinners who've been saved by grace, Lord. As we've been saved by your grace, Lord.
We pray for your mercy, Lord. Amen.